Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can go on and keep them closed because uh, I'm going to put the... <laughs> uh, I'm going to put the, the, the scripture up and I can't be bothered you taking your time. And, uh, and some of y'all pull out your phones like, yeah, it's my Bible. Hey, 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 this doesn't mean you're looking at your Bible, all right? We all know what that means. Anyway, this is what it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind. But soon a fierce storm came up. Everyone say storm. Come on, everyone, right it to the back, say storm. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Thanks, Jesus. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? I got a weird mole in the back of my neck, don't I? That's highly disgusting. Focus. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Silence be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who here has ever been in a storm before in your life? Like a, like a storm, like a big storm, like big storm. Uh, for those of you that weren't here this morning, uh, I was born in the Philippines. My dad is Australian. He's from Newcastle. My mom is a Kiwi, Kiora bro. And, uh, and I was born in the Philippines, went to an American school. The thing you got to understand about the Philippines is that the Philippines is a tropical country. I mean, we know how to do storms in the Philippines. I mean, we, we call them, the special names, we call them typhoons. You all would have seen on the news last year that big typhoon that ripped through a place called Tacloban. Uh, it, like, we know how to do storms. Man, I remember as a kid, I used to love it when the storms would roll through because it would rain so much in Manila and because of how much rain and the incredible sewerage system of the city, we would get flood days where we, we didn't have to go to school because it would flood so much and we got to stay home from school. I'd be like, the night before it'd be rain, I'd be like, God, let it rain, let it rain, open the floodgates because I hate school, let it rain. And, and I used to get so excited, we had days off, I'd walk out, literally there'd be like rivers of water going down our street, squatter kids, would be like playing in trash cans as they float down the street with their dogs and you know later on that night they, they'd eat their dog <laughs> I mean we, we, we had storms where like trees were bending over side to side I mean we had storms and this is the one thing that I learned about storms growing up in a tropical country where there's storms everywhere th th this is what I learned I learned that to the best of my ability, I can make myself as safe and as comfortable in a storm, but if that storm's coming, it's going to hit no matter what I do or where I am. I can find the safest place. I can get between a door frame or under a table or in a bathtub, but if that storm's coming, guess what? It is going to hit no matter what. Who here has ever had a storm in your personal life before? Gone through a storm in your personal life, yeah. I, I'm going to tell you a story tonight. Is that okay? But I got to warn you, it's a love story. Is that all right? All the girls are like, oh, best night ever. 
I love love. I, I am just a, I'm a romantic at heart and, and I love it. And, and the story, it took, took place a couple years ago and a few years ago now, I was, uh, I had just finished having this like emotional friendship, weird relationship with this girl for a couple years. And, and it got to that, I don't know about any of you young men or older men, but I got to that place where I just was, I was, I was done with women. I just, I hated women. And, uh, and I said, God, well, I wasn't that done with women. I mean, I was just, I, <laughs> I just at that point in my life, I'm like, God, it's just, it's you and me, man oh man oh I'm gonna go out into the bush and not shower and not shave and it's just it's God ow it's God time I'm gonna grow a big beard it's God ow and then bark everywhere ow that's why I'm ow I don't have a beard ow that was it it was just gonna be me and God mano oh mano so that lasted about two weeks and uh and I was going to this university. It was a Christian university. Amazing. Christian university means it's like a Christian high school, but it's a university, so you can't get in trouble. <laughs> so I'm at this Christian university, and we have our first service starting the whole year. The principal's going to get up and speak, and I used to lead worship a little bit. So I was staying up the front on my, on my guitar, doing my thing, you know, praising Jesus. And I went, and I sat down in my seat, and I sat down next to my friend Dean. You have to understand something about my friend Dean. Dean is Aka Queenslander. This guy used to come to university with white thongs that had holes in them. He had those fluoro green board shorts with holes in them. He had a white wife beater singlet he used to wear with stains and holes in him. He had holes in his teeth. His hairline was receding. And he used to go, G'day, mate. How you going? My name's Dean. <laughs> That's my buddy Dean, right? So I sit down and Dean goes, Oi, dude, check out that bed. I'm like, what? What? What are you talking about? He's like, check out that bed. I'm like, what is there, like a magpie in the room? What is your, nah, dude, check out that bed. And I looked, and in the row in front, off to the side, I saw an angel, this beautiful dark-haired princess from beyond the great beyond. But you see, you gotta understand something. This was a Christian university, so basically all the pretty girls were married by the age of 12. So what you had to do... <laughs> What you had to do is you had to look for the ring. It's what you do. You just look for the ring. So we're looking for this ring. And all of a sudden, we see like this little band around our finger. And Dean goes, oh, no. That loud. People turn around. I'm like, dude, shut your mouth. Ye of little faith, get behind me, Satan. Because I looked over, and as I saw the ring, I thought to myself two things. I was looking hard. I could see a band. I couldn't really see anything shiny. So I thought to myself one of two things. Number one, it's a purity ring. <laughs> a cha-ching <laughs> or number two that diamond's so small that guy's so cheap I'm gonna get her anyway <laughs> so I don't remember what happened for the rest of the service all I remember is watching her she stood up she walked by I just watched her walk by <sighs> she got to the end of the aisle she turned she began to walk and I believe it was the Holy Spirit for there was not a window open in the room Someone cried out her name, and as they, her name was cried out, she turned around, and all of a sudden, this gust of wind came through, began to blow through her hair, and she said, yes, and I looked at Dean, I said, yes, ah, ah, oh, or as my friend would say, oh, I looked at Dean, I said, 
Dean, I'm going to marry that girl. And he looked at me and went, ah, nuts, you always get the good ones. And so that began four months of, uh, I don't know how you would, um, I, I think it's, I, um, I, I stalked her for four months. I don't like to think of it as stalking. I like to think of it as doing research to build a real strong foundation for a long-term Christian relationship with Christ at the center of our relationship. Amen. So I began to find out everything about her. I began to find out where her classes were. I'm like hiding in the bushes, like watching her go to class. Hey, how you doing? That sounds a lot weirder that I say it out loud than it was in my head. I I, I began to find out things about her. I, I I, I, I became friends with her friends, because women always talk to other women. Is there, any, is there any single men in this room right now? Put up your hands. Just put up your hands if you're a single man. Just leave it up high, nice and high. Just put up nice and high. Single man, single man, put up nice and high. Look around, ladies! I'm kidding. Listen to me, men. This is what you gotta do. You gotta become friends with her friends. Why? Because her friends always tell you things about her. And I found out through her friend what her list was. Do you know what a list is? For those of you that may not know a list, a list is all the things that you want in another person. When I was 19 years old, I shared it with the youth. I just, all I wanted was to find a wife. I read Proverbs 31, worked out, I ain't gonna find a woman like that. So I lowered my standards a little bit and I said, that's what I want. So I woke up at 12 o'clock and I'm like, God, this is what I want in my wife. Number one, she must love God, spiritual awesome. Number two, she must be hot, yes. Number three, I'm okay with the first two. That was my list. It's really funny. Uh, uh, as I've gotten to know women more and more in my life, and I have two older sisters and a mother, you know, when a woman writes a list, I find that usually she describes uh, uh, another woman. <laughs> I want him to cook. I want him to clean. I want him to cry with me. Do you want him to have ovaries as well? <laughs> Let him be a man. So I found out her list, man. And it was cool because it wasn't another woman. Whew. It's like, number one, you know, he must love God. <laughs> Check. Jesus, I got you. Number two, you know, he must love children. <laughs> Check. Shh, I got you. And then the third one was, number three, he must love animals. I'm like, what? I said, girl, I don't love animals. I am one. So after four months of researching to build a strong foundation for a long-term Christian relationship with Jesus at the center of our lives, I did what every red-blooded, young, confident man does. I got her email and I wrote her an email. <laughs> I'm like, hey girl, I've been seeing you around. I've really been seeing you. And uh, I, I just want to see if you want to catch up and we can have dinner, you know, and we just, just talk a little bit. She's like, yeah, let's go have dinner. So, so we catch up and we, and we start talking and we're, and we're eating and stuff. And, and I'm trying to build up the guts to tell her how I feel. You know, usually I'm real confident, but this is that one moment as a man, some of you men might know this, you know, where you could literally have your whole heart trampled upon. Every pride that you have could be ripped to shreds by a heartless cold woman <laughs> or this could be the greatest moment of your life it's 50 50 <laughs> and so I built up the guts finally and, and I was going to say something but I couldn't do it 
All of a sudden, we sat down on this chair after we'd eaten, and, and I began to sit next to her, and she was sitting next to me. And, and for 40 minutes, everyone say 40. For 14 minutes, I made noises that no grown man should ever make. I was like, I just, uh, mm, I, I, uh, mm, I, mm, I sounded like a constipated horse. And finally, after 40 minutes, and she gave me nothing, she sat there, didn't even look at me. 40 minutes, I figured out what to say. I did the greatest Christian line every many man could ever say. I looked at her, I said, it's not, I just, I, I love how you love Jesus. And I, I think that this could work, and, I, and you know, I want to see if, you know, we could take this somewhere. And she looked at me, she goes, I feel the same way too. Oh my God. She put her head down and, and I was stunned. All I could think of in my head was, I am the man. <laughs> so you gotta understand something about this girl. This girl was like perfect, like, like blood of Jesus, white as snow, perfect. She'd never ever liked a guy ever before in her life. She'd never held the hand of a man other than her father's. I, I know this because I, I read it in her diary. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and on the first day of university, when she walked in, the praise and worship began, and, and apparently I was, singing, I was singing this old song uh, that you may know, you're all that I want, and, and I was singing it, and I was leading worship, and, and, and she said that the whole band just kind of everything faded away, and this light came on me, and she went home, and she wrote in her journal, she said, God, there's something different about that guy. If I'm to marry him, give me the opportunity to get to know him. And for four months, she stalked me. What a weirdo. So we dated for like seven months. It was real cool. And, and, and then came that day where, you know, I had to man up and ask her to marry me. And, and I, I couldn't think of anything greater. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And so I was supposed to meet her. I lived on Brisbane, and she lived on the Gold Coast, about an hour south of Brisbane. And I was supposed to meet her at 2 p.m. at her house. And so... A knock comes on the door at 2 p.m., and she opens it up, you know, expecting to find the greatest thing that's ever happened to her, me. Uh, but instead, she finds one of my youth boys dressed in a full suit tie, has a long stem red rose. Connected to it is a poem. Hands her this rose. She reads the poem. He doesn't say anything. She looks up, hands her this little clue that says the first place we ever had dinner. Looks at her and says, James loves you very much, and runs away. <laughs> I know this because I was hiding in the bushes watching. She got in her car, drove to the first place. We had dinner. She got out expecting to find me. All of a sudden, another one of my youth boys, full suit, long stem red rose. The second bit of the poem attached to it, hands it to her, gives her the next clue. The first place we played mini golf, looked at her. James loves you very much. Ran away. This happened 10 different times down the Gold Coast. Yeah, I told you I like romance, yo. You know what I'm saying? Ten different times, got her nails cleaned on the tenth time. My friend was cleaning her hands and doing like a French manicure and, and a pedicure, whatever it is. And, uh, and she's like cleaning her ring finger and looking at her really weird. And the eleventh time, she comes up, and, and, and I'm on this cliff called Point Danger. It's on the, the border of Queensland and New South Wales. Great place to get engaged, Point Danger. Anyway, and so I'm standing there overlooking the ocean, and she begins to walk towards me. And I'm all nervous, and I've got this eleventh rose, and I hand her the rose, and I look at her and she opens up and it finishes off the poem that had been wonderfully crafted the whole way through and at the end it said will you dot 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 and I looked at her she looked up at me I got on my knee and I said marry me and she's like yes I'm like yes we stood up we made out it was awesome 
and then I'm expecting tears to come because you know girls, they cry a lot. And I'm expecting tears to come and there were no tears. After all the hard work I did, I nearly got the rose and pricked her with the rose just to get some tears. So we walked up to the car and I, I blindfolded her and I put her in the car. And Again, that sounded better in my head. You're not going to cry, get in the car. I didn't do that, I, but I did blindfold her. I placed her gently in the front seat, may have closed the door in her head just to see if tears would come, but nothing happened. And, and I began to drive her around. She had no idea where she was, and I'm driving her around roundabouts. And, and I took her to her family's church, and it was kind of a church like this, a building this big. And on the stage, there's this big grand piano. Uh-oh, the attack of the gross mole. And so there's this big grand piano there on the stage, and, and, and the whole place is dark, and there's candles all around the floor, candles all over the grand piano, flowers everywhere, and the 12th rose laid out across the ivory keys. And so I sat her down. She had no idea. She was blindfolded. Walked her up, sat her down, put her on the chair. And as I took off the blindfold, I whispered in her ear, I love you. And she opened her eyes and she looked down. She looked at me, looked down, looked at me and just went. And starts crying. I'm like, yes, cry me a freaking river. So finally, she kind of cleaned herself up, and, uh, and then I wrote her a song that I had written her, and uh, it's the best song that's ever been written. It was amazing. It was gorgeous. In fact, I'd like to sing it. For, no, I don't, I don't want to sing it. I don't even remember it. Anyway, it was amazing. We were engaged for about 12 months. We got married. Beautiful wedding. It was just incredible. Had our honeymoon. It was amazing. Came back, went to a conference, youth conference, hung out. We were just really enjoying life like newlyweds do. It's about nine weeks after we were married. And it was a Saturday night, February the 3rd, 2007. And, uh, and we went out to a birthday party and it was one of our girls in our youth and we got home and, and we were hanging out. We got in the bed and you know, we had a TV so we just began to watch a movie and Rocky II was on, uh, was on TV. Great movie. Adrian! Anyway, uh, we began to watch it and my wife fell asleep. I, I couldn't really sleep. I, I don't know, it was just... I just really couldn't sleep. It was about 2 a.m. I got up, went out on my balcony and began to pray and just began to pray over my life, began to pray over my wife, began to pray over our kids and our youth ministry, our, our future kids that we would have as a family. And, and after about half an hour, I got back into bed. And as I was getting back into bed, my, my wife kind of woke up and rustled a little bit and looked at me. And uh, I looked at her and I said, hey, I, I love you. And she grabbed me and gave me a kiss. She said, I love you too, baby. And that was it. We, we went to sleep. It was about three hours later, 5.30 a.m., and I woke up and I heard some really weird breathing that I'd never heard before. It's kind of like, <sighs> I sort of quickly rose, looked to my left, and noticed that my wife was breathing really weird. I began to shake her, and, and nothing happened. I saw that the eyes in her head had been rolled in the back of her head, and her lips were kind of blue, and so I quickly rose up, got on top, and just began to, to shake her and said, wake up, wake up, and and nothing happened. I began really to, to then violently shake her because there was no response going, wake up, wait, wake up, wake up. And, and nothing happened. All of a sudden in that moment, I, the only thing I, I knew I could do was just begin to cry it to Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus I'm, I don't know what's happening, God, but please wake her up. God, please wake her up. And, and she didn't wake up. 
the breaths that she was taking were getting farther and farther apart. I, I got on the phone. I called the ambulance. I said, my, my, my wife, I, I don't know what's wrong with her. She, she's breathing really weird. She's not really breathing properly anymore. And, and I need someone. I need someone quickly. And the lady's like, that's okay. We'll send someone. They'll be there in about 15 minutes. You need to give her CPR. And so at the age of 22, I began to give my 20-year-old wife CPR in our bed. No response. Ambulance guys got there. They raced up to my room and they grabbed her. They threw her on the bed, uh, threw her on the ground, and they pumped her full of adrenaline and gave her the shocks. Nothing happened. They they doubled the voltage instantly, and uh, shocked her again, and nothing happened. We threw her on the little bed, took her into the ambulance. We raced off to the hospital, and by that point, my parents had met me at the hospital. We raced into the ER, and they took her through the doors, and they directed me and my parents into this room. We're only there for about two minutes. And this little nurse popped her head in the door and never seen her before, never seen her since. And she said, Mr. Aiton, I'm so sorry, but your wife is dead. Wanna talk about a storm? That was my storm. You want to talk about feeling like you are being thrown around in the wind and crashing waves and have no control over what's happening. That was my storm. We went back to our house and it's just the weirdest day. People came over, tried to say whatever you say and there's nothing really you can say. And by the afternoon, I, the shock was beginning to wear off and the frustration was beginning to set in and I was beginning to question God. I mean, I was, I was 22. I had no, no idea why she had died. They actually did a seven-month autopsy on her. And they removed her heart, removed her brain, seven-month autopsy. And at the end of that seven months, they actually said there's no medical reason why she died. To this day, I still don't know why she died. Sometimes things happen to us and we don't understand why. We don't know why. Sometimes we ask God, why, 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 why? I don't have all the answers in life. I don't even have the answer why my wife died. But I have one answer, and his name is Jesus. And that afternoon, I encountered Jesus in a way that I'd never encountered in my life. I was starting to get frustrated and starting to get a little angry, and my sister had to go down to church to do something that night, and so my best friend had flown up from Melbourne, so we all jumped in the car and went down. I walked into the church, and there was a piano set up, kind of like that one, piano set up, and, and I just like to worship, and, and I jumped on the piano, and began to play, and in that moment, I felt the presence of God just come into that room. I wasn't expecting anything. I just began to play, and, and in that moment, the frustration and the shock of the day just bubbled up, and I just began to weep, and I began to cry for the first time that day. My friend was right next to me playing drums, and, and I just began to weep and cry as I began to worship God. And in that moment, I had a vision. I've never had a vision before, and I've never had a vision since. I'm not the vision guy, but I had a vision in that moment. And it was like I was standing on this big brick road, and at the end, on this side, there was this room. And in the corner of the room, there was this little thing curled up in a ball. And as I looked at this thing, I was disgusted because I could see on it bitterness and anger and depression and drug abuse and alcohol abuse and blaming God and blaming everybody else and all this stuff. And I was 
physically disgusted looking at this thing. But what scared me the most was that this thing shifted its gaze, looked back at me, and I realized that it was me. And in that moment, I began to weep and cry even louder and go, God, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that thing, God. Please, God, I don't want to be that thing. In that moment, my gaze shifted from the left and to the right. And at the end of this long road, I saw myself standing in this wheat field with wheat going back and forth. And I saw myself standing in the middle with my arms raised, worshiping God and praising God. And in that moment, I began to cry and weep even more, going, God, I want to be that. God, please let me be that person. I want to be that person. And in that moment, I began to do something which I'd heard preached about, which I'd heard talked about but I'd never done, I began to give God a sacrifice of praise. See, it's easy to praise God when everything's going good. It's easy to praise God when you just got that job promotion or you just got that boy or that girl or life is going good. It's hard to praise God when he's let you down. Or so we think. In that moment, I began to praise God and I began to take my eyes off my situation. I don't know why, but I began to lift it to heaven and say, God, thank you that you sent Jesus for me. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that even though I was still a sinner, yet you loved me. Thank you that she's in heaven right now. Thank you, God. And I began to cry and weep and I heard God speak to my spirit in a way I'd never heard before. And he said, I will be your comfort. I will be your strength. And I didn't think I could, but I wept even more. To this day, I'm not sure why God chose me for that vision. But this is what I know. In that moment, God gave me a choice. In that moment when he showed me two versions of myself, he gave me a choice. And the choice was simply this. Are you going to be a victim of this situation? Or are you going to be a victor through this situation? Every circumstance that you face. Every problem, every storm, every moment in your life that just sucks. Because there are moments that just suck. You may love the Lord and be the most perfect Christian, but sometimes life is just crap. You have a choice. Are you going to be a victim of that situation? Or are you going to be a victor through Jesus? You know, that verse that I read out, the scripture I read out at the beginning, I've heard many preachers preach that story, and they rightfully preach what the story says. They talk about the lack of faith of the disciples. Oh, if only they had more faith. They kind of rag out on the disciples. I, I see that whole story completely differently now. This is how I see it. That in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the waves, in the midst of the disciples losing control of their situation, the very first thing they did was they went to Jesus. Whatever you're going through tonight, doctors are good. Psychologists are most of the time great. Your friends are probably amazing. But there is one person that can heal you. There is one person that can give you freedom. There is one person that can heal your broken heart. There is one person, and the Bible says it in Romans, and Pastor Tony shared about it this morning. There is one person that can work all things for good for those that choose to love him. I love that verse. Sometimes we think, oh, as a Christian, everything's supposed to go well now. No. 
but God will take every situation and turn it to good. It's about four days, five days later, and we had our funeral. It was, a, it was an amazing funeral. There was about 1,500 people crammed into this funeral, and we did the whole thing, incredible touch of God. And I remember I, I stood up to speak, and I, and I just wasn't ready to speak, so I said, hey, we're going to worship. And I got on the piano, and we began to worship, and half the funeral, half the people at the funeral didn't go to church at all. But I sat there and I said, come on, why don't we just lift our hands? The whole place, people lifting their hands. People I knew that were away from God were sitting there crying and just bawling their eyes. We began to sing, we're standing on holy ground. And I got up and I spoke. And I don't really remember much, much of what I said, but I remember saying this. I said, I'm not sure why this happened to me. I said, I'm not sure why my 20-year-old wife is sitting in that coffin right there. But this is what I know. I know that Jesus loves me. And I know that he died on the cross for me. And I know that even though I didn't deserve it, he chose me. So I may not have all the answers, but I have the answer, which is Jesus. And tonight in this place, I may not have all the answers, but I have the answer, which is Jesus. And there's people here tonight, and you've gone through stuff in your life. Maybe one of your friends dragged you out tonight. Maybe they said, hey, let's go grab dinner, and they lied to you and brought you here tonight. <laughs> ah, suckers. We're so glad you're here. Maybe your mama dragged you here. I don't know how you got here tonight, but I know there's people in this place that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you're on a journey, and that's totally cool. We're all on this journey. But tonight, you can find the answer. Your situation may not change instantly, but the direction in which you're walking and who you're walking will, with will change instantly. And it's Jesus. You know, it was a couple months later, and it was about three and a half months later, and it was a tough three and a half months, man. I mean, if anyone in this place has ever lost a spouse before, you'd know that you can make it through the days okay, but at night when you go to sleep and you get into bed alone, that's when it's, that's when it's the hardest. It was about three and a half months later, I turned 23, I was still just a young man, and I began to just go, God, I just, I feel like I need you. Maybe the keyboard player can join me. I, I just feel like I need you, God, in my life, and, and, I, and I feel like I want to move on, God, I just want you to heal me. So I was at this conference on the Gold Coast, and it was one night after this conference, and I, I got in my car and I drove down to this place called Burley Point, which is where me and my wife used to hang out a lot, and Remember, I got out of the car, and there was a seat just available. No one was on it. I went and sat down and overlooks the ocean. It's this beautiful, beautiful point called Burley Point. To my right, uh, there was a couple lying on the ground making out. And uh, to my left, there was a dude smoking a joint. Uh, and I sit in the middle. I mean, this is amazing. I, would, I just would have loved to have seen the picture from behind this night. Because I sat there. I sat on this chair, and I just began to breathe in the ocean air. And I just began to speak. And I said, God, I love you so much but I want to move on. And I remember I looked up to the sky and I never really talked to my wife because to me she was gone, but I said, I love you, a piece of me will always love you, but I need to move on. I said, God, heal my heart. And I began to pray. And I prayed what felt like three minutes, but in actual fact, it was over an hour of me praying. I mean, it would have been amazing. Could you imagine from behind, couples making out, dudes getting high, and the crazy Christians like, would have been awesome. I am. I can't explain it to you, but something happened 
in that hour that completely changed my life. I got up from that chair and I felt healed. Black to white, felt healed. I got in my car, I drove back to my hotel room. I walked in the door. My sister popped her head out, looked at me and said, what, what happened to you? And I looked at her, I said, I'm healed. She goes, okay. And I went, okay. And I actually didn't find out for about six and a half years after. She told me that when I walked through the door, that the shadow that had been on my face for the last three and a half months was gone. And in that night, God completely healed me. It was a couple months later, and there was a Youth Alive training day, and I walked in, and there was this blonde girl singing. And, and I introduced myself, and she said, hey, how you doing? I'm like, good. And uh, I felt healed. I was a young man, and I met this beautiful girl called Caitlin. And this September 6th, we would have been married seven years with a beautiful little daughter called Hope Milani. I'm standing before you tonight. I'm standing before you tonight, not because I deserve to be here, but because all I simply said was, Jesus, I don't understand it all. I still don't know. I still don't fully understand it. But I know that Jesus loves me, and I know that he died for me. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 